people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Nothing. You are zero. You are zip. Jimmy Zip left his tough home for a tougher city where life is hard. Should we eat them now or save them for later? The women are easy. Looking for a date? And just staying alive can be murder. What's your name? Jimmy Zip. Jimmy, you want a cool job? been on the street for one day and I don't think I'm going to like it. Look out, kid! You have to be careful with women. I mess you up. Everything is going perfectly in your life right now. I screwed up, but I'll go back tomorrow. You're going to go back now! What Jimmy really needed was someone who cared. You can't run away from yourself, Jimmy Zip. And someone who could ignite his dreams. This is about you, James, making who you are. You didn't learn a lot from him. We turned the steel into dreams. What happened? Direct to this? No. I own her, I own you, I own Deidre, I own a lot of people. That money belongs to my boss. If we don't give it back, he's gonna kill us. When the odds are against you. It's payback time. If you're gonna do something with your life, don't wait. And friends need you. Here's some plans for you. A boy who no one believed in. Are you crazy? Will have to believe in himself. Starring Adrian Franz of Speedway Junkie and CBS TV's The Bold and the Beautiful. Robert Gossett of Arlington Road and City of Angels. Chris Mulkey of Bullworth and Lifetime TV's Any Day Now. James Russo of The Ninth Gate and Donnie Brasco. And hot new star Brendan Fletcher of Air Bud, West of Sarajevo and The Five Senses as Jimmy Zip. Hey folks, welcome to The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with Robert McGinley, the writer and director of Jimmy Zip, and Chris Mulkey, one of the actors from Jimmy Zip. Mr. Mulkey has been in quite a few things that we've talked about on the show over the years, including The Hidden and Twin Peaks. Mr. McGinley is the auteur behind such films as Shredder Orpheus and Danger Diva. We'll talk a little bit about both of those films as we talk about Jimmy Zip, which had a restoration and is playing in select theaters. And we'll hopefully have a nice new Blu-ray release coming out as well. Hope you enjoy the interview. Robert McGinley, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into filmmaking? I think the first thing I ever saw of yours was maybe your first film, Shredder Orpheus? Yeah, that was the first one for sure. Yeah, at the time of Shredder, we made... One version as a music video in Seattle, 
and they have a, an underground city there. And I was always fascinated with the idea of going to the underworld and, and being a student of mythology. I was always attracted to the Greek myth, Orpheus. And really where my storytelling background comes from is grounded in mythological themes, the hero's journey, huge Joseph Campbell fan. And that fascination just sort of turned into an idea of, well, how can I tell stories that are iconic, that resonate in such a way that they have a broad stroke appeal? And so without geeking out too much, I, I, I just really am a fan of Aristotelian story structure where you know you have catharsis and climax and and that's how you structure things and I, I didn't really have a way to express that I mean it, actually when I started I was you know a producing and artistic director for a contemporary arts organization that did new theater dance and music and and because I had this definitive role where I wasn't on stage I said, well, you know what? I'm always filming these people. I'm always shooting video for them. And, and that's how it kind of came about, is after shooting artists in those different mediums, I said, you know, I want to start telling stories with, with film. I was a big Sub Pop fan back in the day. And, and one of the really appealing things to me about Shredder Orpheus was Steve and Jesse Bernstein on the uh, soundtrack. How did you make that connection? I, I knew Stephen because, um, you know, he was a frequent performer at our, our space. He was just such a, an intriguing personality, and he made some amazing things with Sub Pop, sub -pop and made an amazing record with uh, Steve Fisk. Of, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's he was amazing. And, and I started... Um, building the narrative of Treader around his his character. And uh, so, you know, it was really fun to, you know, just work with him. And, and I think he just had a stellar performance in that film. And I, he'd never acted before in film. In fact, I don't think anybody in our cast had, <laughs> including myself. Well, and speaking of acting, Chris Mulkey, can you tell me how did you come to acting? I was at the University of Minnesota, and I was an athlete there. And a friend of mine who was a baseball player, George, you needed an elective. And I went, ah, what are the electives? And he said, basket weaving, ballroom dancing, or acting. And I said, well, actors are crazy. I don't want to get involved in that shit. He said, no, no, you like movies. And I went, okay, I'll take the acting class. So I took the acting class, and I excelled in it, really took to it, and changed my major and went on to become a member of a playwriting group and we took a play to new york and you know did classical theater produced a couple films at the classical theater and went to hollywood on the recommendation of clint eastwood and 110 films later here i am talking to you with robert and ginley how did clint eastwood give you your uh, advice i was at the afi but i produced a film from called the suitcase about a spa in morocco it was a stage play and we made it into a film it's really cool cool film Got great reviews. Kevin Thomas loved it in the LA Times. And, and I went, I wanted to become a fellow at the FI. So I went there and had a meeting with him that I didn't have enough juice, as they say, 
to get into the place, you know, because back in the 70s, if your uncle Bobby was a guy in town, they, you know, like you could get in this thing, but otherwise it's really difficult. So I just stuck around. I took a sabbatical for like three months and worked on everybody's thesis films. And one day Clint Eastwood came to give talks, uh, talk when I've done this many times. And he had just come back from doing a spaghetti Western and uh, only 10 people showed up. I was the 10th. And he went around the room and said, hey, Mike, what do you want to do? Chris, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to get over as an actor. And he said, well, go back to Minnesota, get with your filmmaking friend, write a film, don't direct it, produce it, and star in it, and then make it a feature. And I went, okay. So instead of going, yeah, thanks, Mr. Hollywood, I went back to Minnesota and did exactly what he said, and we won the USA Film Festival, and we screened in Berlin and Edinburgh and Deauville. And uh, this was Loose Ends, 1975. Black and white film. And then we did the same thing. We took the same crew in, in 1988. And uh, and uh, we wrote and produced a film called Patty Rocks that I starred in with my late wife, Karen Landry. And we won Sundance and distributed all over the world and made a bunch of money. Yay. It's simple. It's simple. What's the story of you two meeting? How do you, how do you come together? Is this before Jimmy Zip or is this when Jimmy Zip happens? Robert was... He was dead drunk, and he was laying in the street. It was about three in the morning, and I heard screaming. And I went out there, and there was Robert, you know, and he's, no, that's not true. He and his lovely wife pulled up to a house for rent right across the street from my house in Venice, California. And I saw them walking in. They looked like a nice couple. And I said hello to Robert, and we became friends, like, instantly. I told him, I said, dude, why don't you just buy this house? And he said, okay, well, I'm, I'm simplifying it. But it's okay, I will. And uh our friendship started there, and we've been friends for 30 years. I don't know. What about the dog? The dog introduced us, remember? Oh, uh, Bogey. Bogey, the Bogey. Bogey came over first, and he said, hey, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a giant bulldog, and he ran across the street to see the couple. You're right. Yeah, yeah, and I went to fetch him, and we said hello. It's like, yeah, cool. Is Jimmy Zip the first time that you two worked together? Yes. But wasn't bad business before? Oh, Yes, you're right. I co-directed a film called Bad Business that I wrote with Murray Mintz, wonderful filmmaker, and Robert and his his ex-wife play this couple who who harassed me and, and pay the price. And it's a great scene. Yeah, it's called Bad Business. That was the that was our first working thing. So I I directed Robert in that one, and then he returned the favor. And Jimmy said, "Boy, this the film looked so great yesterday, man. It was like." Wow, great. I love that film. I like my guy, too. Yeah, your guy's amazing. You know, the playfulness of my character in that film, you know, the playfulness and humor, how did we, is that just me, or do, how do we arrive at that uh, temperature of the character? I can't remember, you know? I mean... I Well, I, I think one of the comments that I had last night was that there was a real, even though you're a badass guy, right? There was a real humanity to that character. And one of the things uh, that came up in conversation was that one of the audience members made a really insightful observation is that Jimmy Zip is an orphan and he comes to the city and in effect, he's looking for a father and he he's, he's torn between two fathers, you being one of them, your character, and then the Robert Gossip character, Horace being the other. And you have a dynamic there of him going through a process to figure out what he wanted to commit to. 
And then the Adrian France character, Sheila, sort of challenges him in a certain way to suddenly become or try to become her protector. My question was, how did my big guy become a, a funny mafia guy? I think that was you, dude. I, I think what exemplifies that is when you jump on the bike. Oh, yeah. Play, playful. Playful. That wasn't in the script. You just saw the bike in the room and... And you took that bike and said, okay, I'm sitting on your bike. And that was such a great choice. And I think that when you did that, it, sort of the playfulness of things started to happen. And I would say that with one move, and we, I think we shot that scene fairly early in this process. I think that was the thing that kind of kicked it off. Robert, where did Jimmy Zip come from? And, and what was the process of making it? I think the original idea goes back to... Um, the Horace character, he was inspired by a bodyguard at our performance space. He was this six foot six black guy. He was much like the the, the street characters described him, with hands the size of baseball mitts and, and that kind of. And I thought, God, this guy is such an amazing guy. And he also was always doing. He always was smoking. He always had some sort of fire thing going. And I was reminded of the Greek mythological character, Hephaestus. Hephaestus was the god of fire. And, and then I think that I thought, well, as interesting as all that is, you know, how can I build around that a little bit? And I said, well, you know, in my own life, I was a pyromaniac kid. I was much like Jimmy Zip, except I had a my family wasn't just as dysfunctional. I mean, they were pretty dysfunctional, but, you know, I got busted for blowing up a mailbox when I was 16 years old. And those are the, probably the two ingredients that got me started. And uh, so what was the process? Uh, well, um, I had just finished Treader Orpheus and had some good luck with distribution there. Um, and I decided to leave the performing arts business in Seattle and... I came down here, came down to LA and basically got involved with just meeting a bunch of people and just, you know, trying things out, you know, to try and solidify what I'm trying to say is we made a short with an actor by the name of Justin Whalen. Robert Gossett was also in the cast. And that short film was just came out okay. But then I said, you know, I'm going to take another crack at it and and really try and expand on it. And I think I think what really solidified the process was, again, meeting Chris Mulkey. Really, seriously. I mean, that was a big spark because we were talking about last night. I mean, we were trying to find the right person, the right Jimmy Zip, who was going to be Jimmy Zip, and uh, your story about the Palm Springs Festival and seeing little little criminals. I mean... I'd forgotten that that was the thing that got me on the trail. And then that was amazing. Have him. I saw this guy, Robert, say, you got to look at him and, and little criminals and Brandon. And so we just looked him up and, and you got just, you loved his look, I think, most of all. But that well, I loved his look and I just loved, he was this tough little punk ass Canadian, you know. And I, you know, the 20, or 25 other young guys between 14 and 16, they weren't, any, they weren't anywhere close in, in uh, 
being able to access the kind of anger and fury that that Brendan had. He just had he just had it. And I knew after two lines I got him. This is it. So you've both mentioned of the screen last night of Jimmy Zepp. Why now? Why all these years later, 24 years later, are we talking about this film and how did the screening happen? I was looking at it with my editor and we had basically arrived at the idea that, or at least for me, I'm going teen, you know, gutter punk culture, homelessness is more prevalent today than it was then. And that was a big step. And then I thought, you know, these characters are so interesting and we've got 35 millimeter cans sitting around, you know, with this film. If we're, if we're going to try and, you know, breathe life into, I mean, obviously we need to do a restoration. And I just uh, felt that back in the day, we won a bunch of film festivals with it and it aired on Showtime. But I think I felt that really didn't get it's due in terms of having an audience be able to experience it. And, you know, just just like Shredder Orpheus it has been sort of rediscovered. I mean, I my hope is that uh, Jimmy Zip can be rediscovered and as uh, an iconic story that really can inspire people. I think the root of this is, is that how do you turn anger into and channel that with an emotional alchemy that sets you up for something that's a creative expression. So without trying to get too wrapped around the axle with what I'm trying to say, it's just, it's like, how do you turn the anger into fire? So basically what Horace and uh, Rick Canesco help push this character into this space. And and to me, I'm, I love the idea of an artist as a protagonist. And I just felt that most things don't get a second chance in life. And I thought if there's anything that deserves a second chance, this Jimmy Zip would be it. Chris, how was it seeing yourself up on screen again after so many years? Seeing myself on screen after 23 years, nearly 25, was pretty amazing. Um, I have to tell you that really, Robert, I really liked the guy, you know. I really liked Rick Canesco's energy and his playfulness and very dangerous guy who can easily be mistaken for your friend. I like I like the complexity of the character, and that's why I asked you, how did we arrive at this playful, basically murderer pimp? And yeah, it was it was really fun. So I don't watch a lot of myself, honestly, Mike. I, I you know I shy away from it. Going to the screening last night, I'm going. All right, here we go. I'm gonna win. After the first scene, I'm digging the guy, you know, I'm liking what's going on, and he has this kind of tempo, and it's like, yeah, cool. Yeah, and Robert, how is it for you to revisit this after so many years? I mean, this must have taken a while for you to do all of that restoration process as well. I thought, well, we're just gonna transfer the 35 millimeter into, you know, digital. Yeah, and then just, well, hold on. I mean, restoration was a whole task in itself because you know the 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 transfer process is is not that hard i mean photochem the lab just they said they cleaned the negative right but there was so much dust and scratches on it so once you transfer it that's the easy part then you've got to clean it up and it, i think there was 20 days of just you know getting 
that stuff done. And the other thing that really took a long time is we wanted to change the last two minutes of the film. The film, we felt, deserved a better ending. We thought that we were close 25 years ago, but we thought you know we could do better. And by we, I mean my editor, Howard Flair, and I. And um, so the process of going through boxes and boxes of film to find little snippets of film that might be you know, 25 frames long just to make it, because we didn't shoot that ending. We had to go through all kinds of outtakes to try and figure out how to make his death swarm plausible. And uh, I think uh, we were fortunate to find these little pieces and and must say that Howard, we had lots of, uh, you know, fights about exactly how we were going to do it and, and and coming up with the ep- epilogue and all that. But at the end of the day, he is very good at making something out of nothing. So that was very time-consuming. I think we were in our garage for literally days at a time, just going through boxes, using the script notes. It was really crazy, that process. You and Howard did a great job of uh, bringing this film back. It looked fantastic last night. The mix, I don't know whether you remixed it or not, but the music sounded it really, it's really a wonderful piece. I'm really happy to have it on my that resume. Yay! <laughs> well, after 110 films, that's happy to hear that. <laughs> What's next for Jimmy Zip? Now that we've had this initial screening, we're talking a few distributors about uh, streaming and home video. But what I've learned in the process of uh, getting Shredder Orpheus out there is that there's a difference between a film that has become a cult classic, which Shredder definitely has. And because I have a follow, I sell a lot of soundtrack LPs and DVDs. I, you know, sell anywhere from six to 12 a month just out of my garage. And this fall, we have a dis- distribution company that is releasing it on Blu ray. So, taking the long view, building of audience. It's a DIY process right now, but there's two distributors that are interested in setting it up on streaming platforms. My reluctance to just go ahead and throw it out there without building an audience is that it's pennies on the dollar anyway. I would rather move the film into a more modern space and and see if I can get my small following to embrace it. And uh, I'm going to do a collector's DVD packaged with a, of the original soundtrack CD and, and do that for a while. And, and um, that, I think, is the plan for the next six months. If, I, if there's a way to solicit invitations to uh, repertory houses and you know, more the- theatrical screenings. I think that that's the way to go. I'm going to try and, and go after some of the film societies and so forth. But I'm very much hands-on guy. I've never had the uh, luxury, really, of of just putting a film out there and, and then and just going on to the next one immediately. Well, having said that, I mean, Jimmy Zip did have a management company that got me out on home video and got me to Showtime. But I guess 20 years later, I'm going like, 
if I don't do it, if I don't set this thing up, then no one's going to care. My hope is that we find an audience and uh, we, we're able to build it brick by brick. And so the, the idea behind Boom Cult is, you know, I've got these titles in the catalog, the films that I've done, and we keep moving and trying to develop fans and relationships. And, and, um, and, and then, you know, we have IP or intellectual property that is of value. Otherwise, I could have gone, with, Mike, with an, an aggregator months ago. I mean, it, but it just gets sort of lost. Been told that there's a lot of money to be made with AVOD. In the distributor speak on streaming platforms, there's advertised video on demand. There's subscription video on demand. There's AVOD, SVOD, and then TVOD, which is transactional like iTunes or Amazon. So you have the three VODs, right? And, you know, the other thing I'm kind of looking at is just going and setting up my own streaming relationship with either Vimeo or some other platform where we just go factory direct. I might do that with one of my other films. I think Jimmy Zip has not enough strength to not have to do all that. But people say, well, why don't you just put it on Amazon? Well, why should I put it on there when there's all that stuff? First of all, no one's going to see it unless there's some marketing behind it. We're trying to make a market. We're trying to find that audience that would be willing to support it. And I mean, I don't, with with Shredder, it's all places that where alternative cinema thrives. Those kinds of places are the ones that really, you know, set things up. Because I really don't advertise it and and we keep selling units. But the best news there is that the strategy kind of worked. I I don't know if you've ever, you may have heard of this company. It's called the American Genre Film Archive, AGFA. Yeah, I I definitely, I get their emails probably about once a month and they seem to be doing some great work. Well, I'm really happy so far. They were the one company that offered me an advance. So I know they're serious. They're not just trying to build a library and inquire stuff. So we're going to have a Blu-ray release of Shredder on Black Friday this coming November. Yeah. So, yeah. Mr. Mulkey, what are you working on these days? Mike, so I'm, I'm about ready to hop on a plane and go to, uh, I'm doing a comedy out in uh, with, uh, with Kevin Sorbo about two undertakers who are comedians. And it's a true story. And so I'm, yeah, so I'm. I'm doing that, then I'm going off and doing two Westerns and then a thriller in July and August. So I'm, I'm busier than 20 men. So it's, I'm, I'm really thankful. You know, it's like, it's, it's fun. I try to breathe that kind of uh, good energy, make people think about who is this guy can, and really have that, that character come into them. You know, that's my, that's my kind of reason for doing it. Oh, that's fantastic. And it's, I'm so glad that you're not slowing down at all. No, I'm, uh, I'm rocking in the free world. Yeah. I'm so- yeah, I'm just doing that, playing music on, and part of my, you know, I, have, I think I have eight albums that sold a bunch of songs to TV. I'm, I'm in the Amazon, new Amazon series, The Power, and I have a, I sold them a song, but my debut in movie soundtracks is on Jimmy Zips. Robert had me sing, had me sing the, the, the vocals for Step Into the Fire, right, Robert? And that man, that sounded so great last night. The track sounded so great. Oh, yeah. 
there, there's two Chris Monkeys. There's the music guy, and then there's the movie guy. So it's back and forth. Well, and I'm glad that this happened because I have to tell you, I've been a fan of Shredder Orpheus for all these years. So I was trying to line something up before, and I was like, oh, you know, like, because I, I feel really bad about Deja Diva being released in 2020. I mean, you must have just got completely shafted by the pandemic with that. Yeah, well, and add to it that I got involved inadvertently with some real criminals. Uh, they tell you what you want to hear. Oh, we're going to get you some theatrical on this. We're going to get you. We've got a deal with Target or uh, we've got these deals. They were really good at telling you what you want to hear, but what they secretly do is they're aggregators. They'll get anything that they can, and they're just library builders. Even people that have had a sale on Netflix, they go to markets and then they charge you for markets. And so their expenses will ex exceed the revenue that is on the film. And once I figured out this was the problem, I spent two years in litigation with them. And so, so Danger Diva never came out, but stay tuned. Uh, then there again, Howard and I went back to that film and we said, uh, you know, what is it that we can do to optimize this when we're not rushing to meet a distributor demand or something like that? What can we do? And we actually did a recut of Danger Devo that will hopefully come out sometime later this summer under the rubric of Danger Diva Redux. The film really benefits from taking a, a real hard look at the flow and the story shaping of it. So we're excited about having that come out. And and there again, that's where we're thinking, yeah, maybe if we can get a relationship with doing our own streaming, and if again, we're, we're, we're in this model, we're, we're kind of headed in that direction. Hope springs eternal. Hopefully that one can find its audience. We did have some luck with some screenings and some festivals, but after we got involved with that distributor, everything just got swallowed into a black hole. And so it took me a couple of years, and I think I went through four attorneys before I found one that specialized in the problem I had. It's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. Work. So is the best place for people to keep up on all these projects is at boomcult.com? We're, we're going to take pre-orders for Jimmy Zip. We plan to get it to ship or on or before June 6th. And so boomcult.com, just for a pre-order if people are interested. And it would be great to have any of your supporters at least, you know, query, check in to the website, see what's going on. It'd be, it'd be great. Well, Mr. McGinley, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we were able to find the connect and talk about this. Yes, and thank you so much for having us. Midnight, 
beyond delight Found a girl with raven hair She had voodoo walking, a man of talking Have voodoo walking, a man of talking Let's walk Good God, y'all <laughs> She had creepy eyes and a black hat bone A whining lamb to send you home Shaking hips, eyes so light See right through, through the night She had voodoo walking, her mouth of talking Uh, Fudu walking here And my love talking Let's walk Talking, 
Uh-uh. 